Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing Star Trek Prodigy Episode 3, Starstruck. Your first note here is Janeway is sexy clippy and... That was your comment, so you should introduce it and what you mean, because <laughs> it was perfect. It was the best. Just the way she pops in and she's like, oh, hey, it looks like you're trying to drive a starship through an unstable stellar phenomena. Do you want help with that? Like, I love it. It's great. I think it's really clever to have this mentor character who is only available when the plot requires. But, you know, clippy vibes. It's the best. (laughs) And it's funny because we were having clippy nostalgia at work just the other day. And when I say clippy nostalgia, I mean laughing about how terrible it is. <laughs> but, but it was funny that it came up in conversation in a totally different context. And then you said that and I just lost it. It was so funny to me because that's exactly like the way that yeah. you just did that sentence. You know, it looks like you're doing this. And Doll treats her exactly the same as all of us do when Clippy shows up. We try to figure out how to turn them off. No one likes unsolicited advice. Especially teenage boys. Last year in season one of Lower Decks, I peer pressured my beta reader into writing badgy clippy porn. And then I messaged her yesterday being like, I don't know if you've seen the new Prodigy yet, but I have a new clippy OTP for you. And she just replied, no. A one word response. (laughs) But we got a lot more Janeway in this episode. We did. She was exposition as well as... She was Encarta as well as Clippy. When we saw the pilot at NYCC, Janeway only says one line. And so Mm. Kate Mulgrew jumped up and was like, I made them make a a little extra for us because it's not fair to get that little Janeway Mm. in your special event. And so we saw that scene where she is introducing herself and the Tellerite insults her and so she insults the Tellerite right back. (laughs) It's just like, okay. So racist. Zimmerman had some responsibility in programming this hologram is what I get out of that. Yes. But I really liked her explanation of the Federation. I could definitely see the thesis statement of this is going to be an introduction to Star Trek in that whole bit. I love that she said the iconic TOS intro. Too boldly go. Ah, chills. Kate Mulgrew never got to say it before. Exactly. It was very exciting. I I really liked Janeway's presentation. And I liked that it was the uh, the same, you know, I'm going to wave my hands and this, you know, it's, I think the first time I ever saw that effect was like in Iron Man, not Star Trek. (laughs) But now it's in Discovery all the time, and I enjoy that, you know, we are close to creating that in reality, so let's get on it. We're almost there. It's part of the modern language of science fiction, but it also feels like a natural progression from where we are now to where we will be in a few years. To the point where I think talking on screens and stuff is going to seem as anachronistic as carrying a whole pile of pads around to share one file. And it's cool to get the impression that the Federation is redeveloping this technology. Yes, that's fun. Yes. My second note here, the settling in quotations, quote unquote, settling into roles of Starfleet cadets. I want to talk a little bit about the people who chose what they get to do on the ship and the people who have been dragged into what what they get to do on the ship. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting. And I'm hopeful that we do either it gets shaken up and people switch around a little or rock talk mostly yeah embraces her role and we get to see her making it a hero and wanting it as opposed to being thrust into it i felt really bad for her being told that she was the muscle because we already know that she sort of no rock jokes intended, but she has a bit of a chip on her shoulder about being big. And I don't think that security is necessarily where her skills lie. I understand why they sent her, but I think she 
part of her story needs to be learning to assert herself and to say, no, actually, mm. I don't want to be the muscle. I'm hopeful that that's where it's going. Agreed. Especially because everybody else did sort of jump in and just, like, Da obviously was, has been just saying, I'm captain, I'm captain, I'm captain. He is the most assertive, even though literally no one <laughs> treats him <laughs> like the captain. <laughs> No one on that ship seems to respect the idea that he's captain, but they all also go along with it. You know, yeah. it's like, well, okay, doll, fine, you can be captain. <laughs> but, but they don't actually respect it. I feel like obviously he has a lot of growth to do and he has a long way to go, but he is the person who looks at a situation and wants to solve a problem and has ideas whereas everyone else has a slightly narrower focus and I think that's mm. the starting point and that's why he's the best option for Captain right now. Even Zero who seems a lot more level-headed their first reaction to landing in the star system is like oh this is a really exciting way to die and that's yes. hilarious and I love them for it but it's Dahl who's going we 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 no, can, we have to yeah Let, let's get we gotta get out of this here. yeah and i also think that at least on star trek mm -hmm. i don't know if this is true to reality but at least on star trek the person who butts heads with authority is always the captain yes so <laughs> so i actually think that he's exactly the personality that ends up in control of a starfleet vessel for better or worse there were certainly a lot of complaints around, you know, Dahl is just like frat boy Kirk. He's arrogant and self-assured and cocky and he doesn't deserve to be on a Starfleet ship. And I'm like, A, he's 17. He is a child. He should be maybe a Starfleet cadet, not commanding maybe. a ship. And the language that people are using to criticise Dahl is exactly the language that they use to criticise Michael Burnham and Beckett Mariner. And I just think it's not consciously racist and no one is actually using the word uppity. But there is a strong sense in corners of fandom that young black people who don't conform to white standards of behaviour don't deserve to be in Star Trek at all. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all either. And it's also interesting not to be a Jim Kirk apologist again. Mm. <laughs> but that's literally the point of quote unquote frat boy Kirk. Right. Like, that's the arc of the movies that he grows into being the Captain Kirk that we know and love. That's yeah literally the point yeah so the fact that people are comparing doll who as you said is a 17 year old child who grew up in a prison yes and has never been in space before or anywhere other than prison mm. the fact that they want him to trust authority at all is ridiculous yes and the fact that they want him to conform to something like an officer. Those are the people that were literally keeping him down and trying to murder him last week. Right. So, so no, Dahl has no reason to trust anyone in a uniform, to trust anyone with a title, to trust anyone in an organization. Yes. Like, he has no reason to trust any of this. And... I've said this about Michael and about Beckett Mariner too. Like, yeah, their arcs are similar to Kirk's in the Calvinverse films. And like, mm. I'm pretty sure that's on purpose. That's the story being told. That the Jim Kirk personality can exist within these other personalities. These other people who don't look like Jim Kirk. And that's right. important. That's like that statement. And also the original frat boy turned captain is Jean-Luc Picard. Who everyone calls the most staid and respected captain. Right. And even Pinekirk wasn't going out getting his heart stabbed out in a bar fight. <laughs> and meanwhile, I just look at these kids in Prodigy and they are doing their best and they are doing so well. And yeah, Dahl is not a good captain yet, but he has also never in his life had a positive experience with anyone in authority. He doesn't know what good authority looks like. 
He's had zero role models. He doesn't have parents. He doesn't know what species he is. Yeah. Like, give this kid some slack. That's the thing. And so there are all these complaints about Dahl and to a lesser extent Gwyn, who is called out rightfully on her complicity in her father's crimes. And I'm like, yes, these kids have a lot of growing to do and the show knows it. And that is the point. This is not Star Trek The Next Generation where everyone comes in as a, a, a fully formed, perfect character who has already achieved self-actualization. Right, exactly. And I am on record saying that that's why I don't like The Next Generation as much as I like Voyager, because Voyager has characters who have all these edges that yeah. they need to have, you know, they need to stand down into their perfect self. And that's way more interesting to me than someone who was elevated mm. to the flagship of the fleet and doesn't have any of those edges that maybe did in the past, like Picard, but the Picard that we meet in the beginning is the staid professor diplomat type. Yeah. If anything, he loosens up over the seven seasons of Next Generation and embraces his flaws again. Which is good. We want that. Part of the reason people have a problem with Dahl and Gwyn is that they think kids' media needs to be full of perfect role models for children to emulate because, as we know, children will copy uncritically anything they see on television. Right. We discussed this previously. Yep. I'm super against any moral panic about any children's media and all of those people. Like, I... I'm just over it. I'm just over it. That's one of those opinions that I just point at and say, no, you're wrong. No, and, exactly. And, uh, like, fine. You, you can go have that opinion, but you're going to go have that opinion away from me. Because <laughs> I, I will not be convinced. And I don't really want to try to convince you. Because it's just obvious to me that a flawed character is a better role model than a non-flawed character. I say this as a parent. And... Gwyn is obviously wrong to think that it's okay to enslave convicted prisoners, but I'm going to put it out there that a lot of adults in the Western world, particularly the US and Australia, are pretty okay with that. They don't put it in those terms, but you think about the extent of for-profit prisons and the use of prison mm -hmm. labour in both of our countries. Like, Gwyn is... 17 and there are grown adults who think that this is okay she's going to learn better right, real adults not yes. even adults in the show yes real people yes and props to the writers who made the choice to have Gwyn be in that space mm. which i assume she's going to learn like she's already starting to change her mind and realize that the world is a lot wider than she was told. She also should not trust authority because <laughs> they were lying. But to put Gwyn in that position and to have the people that she stuck with that are the direct, like the people who she contributed to abusing. Yes. Be a young black man yes. and a little girl and a like the tellerites get a lot of flack in star trek they are considered the dumb ugly people it's interesting to me that jenkin pog in his appearance and with his prosthetic arm is sort of a working class figure absolutely the vulcans are the elite and the andorians are the middle class and the humans, you know, think that they are better than everyone, regardless of where they came from. And then the Tellarites are the people that the other three look down on. Yeah. Gwyn is absolutely positioned as a privileged white girl who has used her privilege for ill. And to be blunt, that's going to be a lot of the audience. And I think seeing her learn and grow will help them learn and grow. I hope. Right. And that's a better role. See, again, it's better to have a role model who's imperfect that you can grow along mm. with because the, the kids who are watching this, like, I'm sorry, I don't care who your parents are. You are not perfect. You are not going to be this 
amazing self-actualized 10-year-old <laughs> who, who's okay with everything and knows everything. Like a lot of, you know, maybe not 10-year-olds, but that 12 to 17 group of kids, mm. they do think they know everything, even all the way through college. I oh, yeah. Say. Kids think they know everything and that adults are lying to them and that adults are trying to change them. And so having these characters who also have that opinion and that flaw, like that's important. You can connect to those characters on a personal level. I just think that you shouldn't be looking to a real life hero, quote unquote, as mm. a role model. You should be looking to them maybe as inspiration. Yes. But a role model should be someone who gets through the tough stuff and realizes their wrongdoings and their flaws and accepts them and tries to be better. And that's the actual role that you should be modeling is the, we're all on a journey. We're all still learning. No one knows everything. People are flawed individuals. That's just the way we are. And that's kind of why I'm really excited to see if they take hologram Janeway and make her more than the emergency training hologram. Because right now she has Janeway's quirks and she has the swagger and the sip of coffee as she accepts Dahl's request for help. But she is essentially the voice of the protostar. And I am really, really keen for them to explore that and for her to transcend her original programming. And for her to become someone who is a semi-adult figure, and certainly she has more knowledge than the kids, but someone who is also at the very beginning of her life's journey. Yeah, it would be super interesting because they're sort of in the same position that Voyager was in when they got mm. stuck with the Doctor, in that they don't have any human teachers. Normally, a Janeway teacher hologram would be like, the extra yes or, you know the intro course but, but they wouldn't be in charge of actually bringing these kids to the end of their journey or yeah, you know, through yeah. school they would have real instructors and so they wouldn't be relying on the janeway hologram like the janeway hologram i don't know but i get the impression that this ship and this hologram are like kind of like the enterprise in star trek 2 where it's like we have some classes on this ship and we use it for that but it's like a special part mm. of the program it's not the program why would starfleet outsource starfleet academy to a hologram exactly that doesn't seem like a great idea so i think that that means that janeway has the opportunity to grow in the same way that the doctor does and i'm interested for that to happen Absolutely. And for her to have opinions and get to know these kids as they get to know her and change, I think that would be interesting. Because certainly she is not Janeway because Janeway would not have mistaken these children for cadets and she would have taken one look at them and adopted them all with extreme prejudice. But <laughs> the protostar's computer has to be sophisticated enough that sooner or later it's going to figure out that... Right. These and are. and also, Janeway would not have waited for someone to ask for her. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is a negative There's no chance. No. Janeway no. decides that you need help, and then she helps you. And then afterwards, you can yell at her about it. There's a Voyager tie-in novel called Fireship from the late 90s where Janeway is separated from Voyager for months and she thinks that Voyager is lost, but she ends up on this ship that's crewed by very young, I would say older teens and young men. And of course she becomes the captain. And of course she saves them. And of course she teaches them how to be a crew. And <laughs> I kind of want to reread that book now because that's the vibe that I think we want to mm -hmm. impose on hologram Janeway. But no, she is two days old. It's super fun to me to have Janeway, but not Janeway. Yes. That's like my favorite thing. It's like the mirror universe, you know? It's just so exciting to me. And it's even more exciting than an actual like alternate or variant of a character because this is a 
a program. They've been programmed to be like Janeway, but they're not actually Janeway at all. And that's really interesting. And I keep coming back to the fact that she's the voice of the protostar, along with Bonnie Gordon, mm. the computer voice, who I shout out because she is a friend of my friend Lauren and recorded a reminder for them to take their meds in the Prodigy computer voice. Oh, awesome. Bonnie Gordon, friend of a friend. I'm practically famous. But I, I love the idea of Starfleet vessels developing sentience and clearly my next hologram Janeway OTP is Zora, the sphere data slash discovery entity. I like the idea of a 24th century ship having a voice in this way. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Yes, because I love the protostar already, even though I don't think she's wheelchair accessible. Oops. Maybe there's a turbo lift you can't see. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of the ship that we haven't seen because the kids don't even know what any of the words mean. It seems like a tiny little ship that's designed to do maybe one or two things and they are mainly go fast right. and go faster. Right, yes. So that's what I mean about it being like a prototype, not prototype, but like a, a program that is just for this one thing mm. that you do on it. And like, you know you learn deep space exploration or something it's a module that you take as part of your course it is not the course itself and it's also is the same story of this is a module of deep space exploration but then you have to actually explore real deep space yes that's a different story and that's interesting but also the protostar is a prototype because she has the nx designation which means she's oh. the first protostar class ship Ha 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 ha. And they lost it. They, they lost it. She seems to have an experimental drive system. You have the two warp drives and then there's a the third one, which I'm guessing is for transwarp conduits. So it's cool to see Starfleet technology evolving. But mm. I do have one question and that's where did her crew go? Well, these are the mysteries. Maybe it was like a maiden voyage and they didn't really have a crew and it was just Janeway. Just remote sure. control? It was like a, a drone and they hit the trans warp and then it went away and they were like, oops, <laughs> we messed up. Given that Starfleet's usual approach to experimentation is to try it out on the holodeck and then put a person in the real version, I can definitely right. see the benefit of trying out uncrewed missions. <laughs> Maybe it was Zero. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about the fact that Zero is a Medusan and they're meant to have this amazing affinity for navigation and space and Zero can't tell left from right? But they did choose navigation. Like, this is what's yeah. so interesting to me. That Dahl's like, I'm captain because I'm the egotistical, mm. you know, arrogant kid who wants to be captain and thinks that not... He doesn't think he's better than them. He just thinks that he's the best option for being in charge. Like I also think it's that he is so accustomed to following his own course and not letting yes. anyone else make decisions for him that it never mm -hmm. crosses his mind to let someone else be in charge. And I can see that. That's ego, but it's also trauma. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. All of these people are traumatized. Oh, yeah. Including Gwyn. Oh, yeah. So Zero chooses navigation, but then doesn't really know how to do navigation. Jankum Pog chooses tactical. Like, he's in the pilot seat, but he's definitely doing tactical. Yeah, which is weird to me because he's the engineer. Yeah, it's weird because, right, he's the engineer, but he's, like, super excited to be tactical. Like, he wants to blow things up and... I mean, who doesn't? Which is, I mean, that's kind of an engineering thing, too. Mm -hmm. Like, most engineers want to put things together but there are engineers who want to blow things up the original series had like phaser control which was staffed mm. by engineers so there's definitely and he's like a overlap he's a 16 year old kid and he's a <laughs> punk it fits him but it's just interesting that they just sort of jumped into those roles and neither of them are trying to be captain i think zero sees themselves as having a sort of first officer role and being able to mm. read minds is a really useful skill in that area but they do seem to accept that Dahl is the ideas guy, even if they don't always agree with his ideas. And that's from before they even really met. Yeah, yeah. Like, Zero chose Dahl because of this, again, what I'm going to call Star Trek captain personality. Hmm. Zero responded to that. 
Yes. And that's how this all happened. Yes. And then Murph and Rock Talk don't really have a place yet. Rock Talk is a child. She doesn't need a job. But also, I suspect that once she comes around, Gwyn will fill the tactical slash security role. And that leaves Rock Talk free to find her own. And Murph is obviously a professional chair eater and they're doing very well. I love Murph so much. At the end of the episode, when Murph just decided to sit in the captain's chair. Yes. That was my favorite. I was like, I love you, Murph. I, I want like a, a, you know, what are they called? A Funko Pop of Murph oh, in yes. the chair. That's what I want. Perfect. Murph's not doing anything on purpose as far as I can tell. And that's also Murph's job. At one point, they like shout to Murph, you know, any crazy ideas? Yeah. And and, and that's when they eat the chair, right? So Yes, yes. It's, it's so funny. But I also loved it when they were wandering around and they were like, Janeway said it was starboard, whatever that means. And then they're like, Murph found starboard. Like, that was so cute. I love Murph. Murph is great. I want a Murph dress. I want to take a picture of Murph into a nail salon and get Murph nails. I want a Murph hat. Oh, that would be nifty. So good, right? Yeah. I reckon you could probably crochet with the right yarn, a nice ombre bobble. I'm actually a bit disappointed in Paramount's merch for Prodigy so far. It all seems to be for adults. There is a Prodigy pint glass. Really? I have not looked at merchandise. I've been disappointed by StarTrek.com merchandise pretty much as a whole since forever. I talk about this all the time. I have a ridiculously giant Star Wars collection. And my Star Trek collection is like a sixth (laughs) of this size. Yeah. Because... First of all, they don't have as much merchandise. And second of all, the merchandise that they have is nothing I want. Many people love little shift models. I do not. Yeah. I don't want those. I want a Murph doll. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, the sole purpose of kids' entertainment is not to sell merch, and that attitude would be terrible. (laughs) But at the same time, you know... Kids love books of the shows that they watch and they love comics and they love toys and they love clothes. And right now I go into a shop and I cannot move for bluey stuff. And it's great. I just think they are missing out on such a great opportunity to make a pile of money, to promote their show through fans wearing their stuff and to let fans show how much they love the show. I, I think it is a ongoing issue mm. with specifically Star Trek, but also most things that are not owned by Disney. That's Disney true. understands how to make merchandise for children and adults. So there's a lot more Star Wars stuff for kids than there is MCU stuff for kids, but there mm-hmm. is still MCU stuff for kids. Whereas Star Trek, they don't understand, like, even though this is clearly like this, they are, they're getting kids. And so we should be happy. Bonus points to whoever decided that Prodigy should exist in the first place. Good job. I agree. Yay. But they have not figured out how to, they haven't even figured out how to market to me. I think that that's another thing where it's like, okay, Star Trek has this weird reputation that it's like the most nerdiest and it's only for not even just adults, but educated adults. Like there's this weird thing where they're only after, yeah, the people who want a pint glass. The other thing I noticed, you know, we have this whole science fiction plot of the proto-matter flying into these collapsing stars and that's really cool. And I took a look at StarTrek.com and there is not a single, like, kid-friendly, this is what happens when a star dies. This is a binary star system. There's oh no... my gosh, they should hire me. <laughs> or they should hire my daughter, who is actually in science communication. <laughs> but I would 100% take a side job writing kids' content about science. And I'm not completely unqualified for this. I actually am qualified for this. And I also literally know actual scientists who study actual exoplanets and exploding stars. Like I have them on speed dial. Even videos with Dr. Erin McDonald, the science advisor, would, would be better than, than nothing that they've got now. 
Do you follow Kate Mulgrew on Twitter? No. I should. So, I know. Kate Mulgrew, in the, I'm assuming that this is something she's going to do for each episode because she's done it for the past two, mm. and it's adorable. But so she has this little video where she's like, uh, it's like a teacher, right? So she's saying the lesson of this week's Star Trek Prodigy was blah, 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 blah. And this is why it's important. And I was just like, this is the cutest, most wonderful thing. I do think that the videos are on Star Trek. Or they, they're at least on Star Trek's Twitter. They're on StarTrek.com. I saw the thumbnail. And, and that is cheesy as hell. But, but also uh, cute. Yes. And it's going to be useful for some people. And I just think that this is a really great opportunity to introduce kids to science and science communication. 100%. And the daughter that I mentioned that literally works in science communication, hmm. she wants to work in educating people who are not scientists about science, because that is something we desperately need. People don't trust scientists. Yeah. And she wants to make that not a thing. And... She has a YouTube channel where she does a lot of uh, video games mm. where it's like, this is a something that happens in Mario, or this is something that happens in Zelda, or this is something that happens in Animal Crossing, and this is the, the real science that it's based on. And so that's why I'm saying she'd be perfect for this yeah. Star Trek job that I yeah. just created. Because, yeah, you are completely right that a little video about this is what a protostar is. This is what a white dwarf is. This is what happens when a star explodes. Those are interesting things that we do know the science of that mm. you could get kids excited about that directly relates to your product. Yeah. Obviously, we don't need to go the full sequest educational video over the end credits route, but just a little go to StarTrek.com slash Prodigy Science to learn about the, the real science behind this story. You know, what an opportunity I mean, they, to learn. It's like what the, I forget what it's called, but it was the Jane Brooke and... Biotrekkie and the Admiral, yes. Again, it's like, that's not... It's affiliated, but not StarTrek.com, but it was sort of the same idea of like, this is what happened in Discovery this week, and mm. this is the real science about it. And I just think that it's worthwhile to have those things, especially for kids. Especially if we want to ease them into Star Trek's alleged real science background and let them have fun with it. Even the Prodigy colouring pages were only part of the press kit and are not available for actual kids to print out and colour. It's so weird. Mm. I want the Prodigy coloring pages. All I got was a tote bag. <laughs> I'm not surprised because, again, I just don't think that people... Paramount is really bad at it. They are just... They super are. <laughs> not to say that Disney's better because I... Disney is an evil corporation, but they're still my favorite evil corporation mm. because they market directly to me and yeah. to my family. And they have everything it just occurred to me that all of these objections all of these criticisms might be premature i think i read somewhere that after it has aired or after it has run on paramount plus mm. prodigy will run on actual nickelodeon, nickelodeon. yeah yes. Yes, and maybe is. maybe at that point when i assume it will They'll... have a bigger audience there will be mainstream yeah that's possible i don't think this is the same as when the mandalorian premiered and there was no merchandise mm. but that was specifically to keep baby yoda a secret Yes. And also it had the side effect of building up massive demand for Baby Yoda stuff. Right. I just really want a plushy Murph. I really want a Murph hat and I really want Murph slime. I just want Murph everything. Where is my Murph Christmas ornament? And where is my <laughs> Gwyn t-shirt? Yeah, I totally want a Gwyn t-shirt. Yeah. We should just make one. We should make our own. I, I want That's... something like, not literally with her face on it, but in the colours of her design and then with the, the pattern of her sword, shield. Hey, I have armband. totally made Padme t-shirts, as you've just described, where it's like, it's not Padme, but it's clearly Padme because you're using the, the colour scheme and the imagery. So yeah, that can exist. We're coming I mean, for maybe you, it Prodigy. Does. I haven't been on Etsy for a Prodigy, but... Uh... <laughs> I'm guessing not because Star Trek just Star Trek just isn't out there. There aren't as many people making. It. I mean, it's just not as big too. But I also think that there is this stigma mm. 
that I think that they should, I really, I honestly, you know, Paramount doesn't care about me and doesn't want my advice, but I really do think that they should work hard to combat the stigma that Star Trek is only for people who can get it. I don't think that's fair. I completely agree. And Prodigy is doing that with storytelling, but Paramount can also do that with capitalism. And I also like the tie-in novel idea. Like, junior novels, come on. We had those cute little Starfleet Academy ones, so... Yes. This is another thing. I volunteer as tribute. (laughs) I will 100% write your tie-in novel. It's ridiculous that we haven't had them announced and that they're not being written by known middle grade authors. They should be coming out monthly. Yeah. Each of these characters should have an origin story junior novel by the end of the first season. Like, I'm sorry, that's just the way it should be. And also the first two should be out by Christmas. Absolutely. Dahl and Gwyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I look forward to Murph's origin story. I would write that myself. It would just be a series of letters on the page forming sounds that are not words. It could be a picture book. There's so many great ways this could go. Yeah. Once again, why doesn't Star Trek just hire us? It's, as usual, a mystery. But let's talk about the heartbreak of Rock Talk not having a food that she remembers from her life before enslavement. I'm so sad about everything Rock Talk. Everything that Rock Talk did in this episode <laughs> made me cry. Mm-hmm. The fact that she didn't have a food and that she literally knows no other food than the gross prison food that she was given. Yeah. That is a tragedy. And then when she confronted Gwyn. Yes. I mean, way to have agency, Rock Talk. Yes. Way to have a voice. I was so proud of her and I was so excited. I was like, yes! Hold her feet to the fire! Yes! And when Gwyn says, well, I was just following orders like you are now, Rock Talk rightfully dismisses that as being a ridiculous comparison because Dahl is not a good captain yet, but he is not an abusive slave owner. Like, come on, Gwyn. Clearly. And she wasn't even following orders. She, like, agreed to do mm. what they asked her to do. No, just no. And I simply do not believe that she looked at that little kitten last week and went, ah, yes, a convicted criminal. I right. think she may have believed that at some time in her life, but... It became clear. Yeah. And she kept going. And I understand she probably didn't have a choice. This was not ultimately a safe situation for her either. But she needs to deal with her own responsibility here. And I'm really glad. I think it's really brave of the show to take its very second episode and go, actually, these two lead characters that everyone really liked last week, here are their flaws. I I think that demonstrates a level of trust in the audience that I really admire. Me too. Me thousand. (laughs) Because that's what's missing in current media is trust in the audience. Yeah. We've talked about Discovery's flaws in that regard and Picard's. And before we started recording, we were talking about The Morning Show, which is an absolutely ridiculous piece of television that does not trust its audience on any level. On any level. It can almost be universalized. Something has happened since the time when I grew up Mm. and now. I don't know that they feel like it's necessary to explain more. And I think it's partially because there's so much more television now that they feel like they have to keep their audience. And in order to keep their audience, they have to talk to their audience or, you know, like they have to address their audience in a very specific way. And it's also, but things like CSI and House, there are these shows that are built entirely around explaining what's happening to the audience. (laughs) And I love both those shows, but it sort of created this reality where for whatever reason, no one trusts the audience mm. anymore. And I think definitely Star Trek audiences have not been trustworthy 
consider the way people uncritically buy the line that Michael Burnham started the war when the show makes it clear that she didn't. Admiral Cornwell says that she's a scapegoat, but people mm-hmm. are like, oh, I hate Michael Burnham. She started a whole war. I mean, how can you watch the end of the second episode where it's Michael Burnham and like the shadow court yeah. and think that the shadow court are the good guys? Like, I don't understand how you can watch that. Like, that's the kind of thing where all of the subtext is screaming this that is... she is the victim yes. and they are the problem. Yeah. And yet people just blindly believe that that she should be punished. And it's like, no, <laughs> there is no way that this punishment is correct. And there's no way that these are the people you're supposed to, to trust. Like, you yeah. can't see their faces. They are literally a shadow court. I yeah. cannot watch that and think anything that these are the bad guys in... Evangelion, these are the bad guys in the first Avengers movie. Like, there are cultural touchstones that make it very clear that these are the enemy, that authority is the enemy. But Star Trek fans love authority, and this is why they criticize Dahl and. And Beckett. Yes, and Beckett. And yet they also criticize Gwyn for believing in the authority that is clearly bad. That's so weird. So weird. I think black kids and girls can't catch a break. Oh. And which is mm. which is why we have to support Dahl yeah. and Beckett and yeah. all of them, Michael. I just it makes me crazy. <laughs> because I literally do not understand mm. how you can watch these scenes and read them as an ode to authority. Yeah. But the thing is, like, black kids, particularly black boys, are racialized and institutionalized. So Mm -hmm. earlier this week, Women at Warp posted an essay about how black women in Star Trek are disproportionately subjected to criminal justice and imprisonment. Wow. Yes. It was a great essay. Uh, And then... think last week's My Favourite Murder had an episode where Karen discussed the imprisonment of a 16-year-old black girl who was tried as an adult for murdering a man who raped her or tried to rape her. Who abused her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. She was an underage sex worker, but she was tried as an adult. And after quite a few years in prison, she was eventually released and is now an advocate for keeping black children out of the criminal justice system, especially girls. And this led into a discussion of an incident a few years ago in Louisiana where I think six kids aged down to about eight were arrested for being present while two boys had a fight. There was a big ProPublica article on it. I might put it in the show notes. And all of the people in authority in this town were white women And they were all talking about how, you know, kids today have no respect and they need structure and they need to go to prison for their own good. And then they talked to them. Okay, first of all, no one needs to go to prison for their own good. Right? Zero people. And then they talked to the actual boys who are now young men and the trauma that they experienced from imprisonment and Mm -hmm. the way that society treats them as a result of their being black mm-hmm. and having been in prison. And I think that there is not consciously, not deliberately, but there is an aspect of that in the way people are talking about Dahl and saying he is undeserving of any authority. So is upset about society right now. <laughs> no, no, me too. It's horrible. And I think it's a really hard line to walk because, yes, Dahl is young and he has a lot to learn and he has made mistakes and he is going to keep making mistakes. That is because, I was about to say that is because he is a human being. That Mm. is not the case. But he is a person and that is what people do. And he should have as many chances as Frat Boy Kirk. Right. Frat Boy Kirk, who, like, gets demoted and then Mm re-promoted in, like, an hour later. Because shit happens. And, like, I get that. But also, yeah, it's frustrating within 
the time limit of the 2009 Star Trek movie that Kirk goes through these experiences so fast. But consider Tom Paris, who is also kicked out of Starfleet, returned to Starfleet, demoted, promoted. Dahl deserves as many opportunities as Tom Paris. And he has his own Catherine Janeway to give them. Aww. We're going to cry now that Dahl's the new Tom Paris. <laughs> and Gwyn is different. Her needs are different. But she is... Oh, the timer. <laughs> but I think Janeway also has a lot of experience with reclaiming... Yeah, yeah. Reclaiming young <laughs> women who have done terrible things and need to... First need to learn that those things were wrong and that she deserves redemption right to learn both of those sides i want that for everyone like yeah you know when i said that no one deserves to be in prison for their own good i also mean criminals no absolutely i I know that that's a radical statement (laughs) but everyone deserves the opportunity to acknowledge what they've done learn from it and move past it treating people who are cruel with cruelty is not a way to treat them. It's not a way to teach them kindness. No. And even people who have done terrible things and who are very, very dangerous deserve dignity and quality of life. Yeah, this is my Seska argument. Yes. And and it's true for Gwyn. Mm-hmm. If you were taught a certain way, and that's the worldview that you were given and that you were born into, it's hard to step back and and see the flaws in it and see how it was wrong and see Mm. the traumas that you created yeah and the harm that you perpetrated that's a lot for people to take on but i think that it's a hell of a story that's the story i always want i want the story where someone says oh i did this horrible thing what can i do now what do i do now yes How do I help people? How do I undo the consequences? And sometimes there is no undoing them and that's really hard. Sometimes you'll never be forgiven and you can only find your own peace. But I feel like Mm -hmm. Gwyn's story is not going to be that bleak. And because you just mentioned Seska, I just want to end pointing out that this show takes place around the time Seska's son would be nine or ten years old. And I cannot wait for Team Protostar to adopt a runaway half Kazon, half Cardassian. Yes. 100%. We know Chakotay is in it, and maybe this is why. Maybe after all of this, he does have to parent Seska's kid. That is messed up, and I like it. That is the best reason <laughs> for Chakotay to be in this. Like, I'm sorry to all the shippers, but I 100% want to see Chakotay has to parent Seska's kid. Yes. That sounds amazing. I want that more than meeting up with the lizard babies. (laughs) If you know me, that's a big thing to say. Oh my god, I didn't even consider the possibility (laughs) of Team Protostar finding the teenage lizard babies. And that's not fan service. (laughs) That is just awesome, okay? That is just awesome. I guess it's serving me as a fan, but... It's definitely not serving the wider fandom because I don't think no. the wider fandom <laughs> These wants. These are things that literally only you and I want. Yeah. However, yeah. I really want them. Yeah. I, I just think there are so many possibilities and more than anything else, I have realised that I want Chakotay to come in and be a dad to these kids. Oh, and that would make the shippers happy too. If I know! So it all works out. Also, if he's like really weirded out by her and like she's this fake version of his friend and <laughs> and she doesn't know about their weird relationship because she's a computer. Why would they put that in the program? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously? <sighs> oh my goodness. So many possibilities. Hologram Janeway is saving herself for Zora the Sphere Data. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. We really, truly appreciate it. It's amazing. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod and on Facebook, search for at @antimatterpod. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. 
And if you do leave a review, then let us know at mail at antimatterpod.com or you can tweet us at, again, antimatterpod. And you'll be entered into our drawing for cool stuff. Cool stuff! The closer we get to cool stuff, we will start actually telling you what the cool stuff is. I want to fucking crochet a Murph beanie. Oh! Everyone should leave a five-star review. (laughs) No beanies guaranteed. (laughs) And join us next week when we'll be discussing episode four of Star Trek Prodigy, whose title has not yet been announced. They just keep doing that to us. Episode three isn't even really anywhere. It was only watching it that we found out what the title was. Yeah. Because no one is on top of this where they should be. Maybe it's going to become really spoilery and like episode 10 will be called the episode where they get back to the Alpha Quadrant and meet real Janeway. Thank you.